Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. This morning, I'd like you to indulge me for a minute to have you join me in, in understanding something very simple that I've thought about recently, and that is that life is about containers. Life is about containers. What's the, uh, what's the meaning of everything? Containers. Now, just be, bear with me a minute and think about this. Our apartments, our houses, our fenced yards, our vehicles, our refrigerator, the rooms in our houses, the closet in the room, the bureau in the room, the dresser, right? All of these are containers. The bed in our bedroom contains us while we're unconscious at night. Uh, Sometimes things are misplaced, like for instance, 33 years ago when I was in college, I was touring with a gospel quartet. We were representing the college. You'd think the posters were funny if you saw them today, okay? But we, went, we were touring all through the country, and one place we went was southern Indiana. 33 years ago, somewhere in southern Indiana, I couldn't take you back to it right now. But we went to a house to have lunch after we sang at a church, went to the house to have lunch, and they were very proud because they had just got indoor plumbing which is a great thing to have. Their indoor plumbing, if you went into their house, say this is the dining room, here's the dining room table, over here is a a door, a couple of louvered doors, and then this was the former uh, pantry to the house. You open the louvered doors, and there sitting on the floor was the commode. Right off the dining room, behind two louvered doors. And you know what I said, where's the outhouse? (laughs) Sometimes we have things in the wrong place in our containers. But our, our clothing acts as a container, doesn't it? Most of the time. Sometimes we're not proper about our clothing containing us as it ought to. Our barns, our gardens, we have gardens that contain our plants, our fruits and vegetables. We play sports, and our our playing fields are containers. And I think every sport has a containing has a contained boundary to it. I was trying to think of one that didn't. I had thought of golf. I was told I was wrong, but I I'm, I'm going to argue and say golf really doesn't have any containment. People play golf off the yard of the neighbor house that they hit the ball into when they're going around the court, around the the playing field. And so golf is a, a, a sport that really doesn't have much of a containment to it. And it's very, very boring. I think if you took uh, that lack of containment and maybe applied it to baseball or soccer, right? And so in soccer, the players could literally ricochet the ball off of somebody's, uh, what do they call those horns? Vavuzelas or whatever they are. Ricochet the ball right off the end of that. Pop it right in the guy's mouth. The ball goes into the, you've solved two things at once. You've scored a goal and you shut up that stupid horn, right? But it would be more interesting, but not really. We have to have containment for sports. 
Our parking lots are containers. Our roads are containers. You have your side of the road. I have my side of the road. Even the sides of the roads are meant to contain us. And so you can expand this and you can say, well, of course, we have boundaries. My property has boundaries. There are stakes. I can go and show you all the property boundaries that show the containment of my, bound, of my property. You can go to the county and you pass the county lines and you, and you see a sign and you've now realized that you've entered the containment of the county or the state or the nation. And so nations have boundaries. They're contained. Some nations are more aggressive. We never know what Russia is at any time containing and what they're not, right? And we have a kind of argument going on right now about how permeable our boundary is in our country. And so we have a lot of illegal aliens coming in from Mexico, and there's lots of fighting and discussion about that. We all have a good idea of what containers are. We all have a pretty good idea of what containment is, what we're trying to contain. And we can all talk about this in terms of individual things. You know, if you actually sit and think about it, it's hard not to associate, somehow, associate containment with everything. You know, I asked my wife the exercise. I said, well, you know, I'm thinking about this. I said, try to think of something in the room here that's not, that doesn't have some kind of containment associated with it. Even things that serve us in a room, like the clock up there, you can see that there's containment. The clock has a compartment where all the guts are kept, right? Everything works inside. And so it's very difficult, but easy for us to find something that doesn't have any of that, uh, but easy for us to see how containment affects and permeates all of our lives. That's all in the micro. But this morning I want us to go to the macro and understand that the Scripture talks about containment in a very big way in our, in our Scripture lesson, our, our, our uh, text this morning. So please stand with me as I read Psalm 24. Now before I get started, it's, un- it's understood or assumed that Psalm 24 was written by King David on the occasion of the bringing of the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And the Ark had been brought partway to Jerusalem, if you remember, and then there was the incident of Uzzah reaching out as the ox stumbled, the Ark was tipping, Uzzah touched the Ark, and God struck him dead for not holding God to be holy. That scared David made him angry, made him afraid, and so he didn't bring the ark on into the city. He left it somewhere else. It stated that this guy's property, and his property was was blessed because of the presence of the ark. Because of that reason and for other reasons, David wanted to finish the job of bringing the ark into Jerusalem, and so he does. And so you have the account of David bringing the ark into Jerusalem. Every so many feet, they stopped, slaughtered animals. This is the account where David danced, right? And Michael, his wife, despised him. Remember? And so as you read this psalm, think about David. If this is true, that this is the occasion, unlike us, unlike how we read this psalm, you can imagine David stopping at certain points and just dancing. He does, because he is, he is not distracted by, his, by himself in this matter. He forgets himself, and he starts dancing. I'm not going to make you dance as we read it. But you ought to try dancing sometime. Do any of you ever dance in your homes? I'm surprised, Esther, that you dance. (laughs) Yesterday I was listening to music. I came out of the bedroom. 
it was something the band was playing. I plugged it into the, the speakers in the house, and then I started dancing with Kimmy and dancing with Annie, and they're just uh, embarrassed. <laughs> but they didn't despise me. Um, but David was dancing. If this is the occasion, I think he was dancing. And every time he sang this song, I think he danced. And so as I read, think about your feet moving a little. And as I read, when I get to the questions at the end, please respond responsively, okay? Let's read. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? He who has a clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, even Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Please be seated. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. This is a confessional statement. This is a confessional statement. We adhere to confessions, right? Right? What are confessions? You're going to get tired of me saying this this morning. They're containers. Okay? Confessions are containers. A formal public avowal or acknowledgement, affirmation of religious beliefs. We confess truths. And the beginning of this psalm is a confession of truth. Immediately a confession of truth. One of those containers, the Belgic Confession... A very good one in Article 12 says this, We believe that the Father, when it seemed good to him, created heaven and earth and all other creatures from nothing, by the Word, that is to say, by the Son. God has given all creatures their being, form, and appearance, and their various functions for serving their Creator. Even now, God also sustains and governs them all according to his eternal providence and by his infinite power, that they may serve humanity in order that humanity may serve God. This is God's creation, the container. He made it with purpose. We are a part of it. The earth and all it contains, all of creation. And so the themes of Scripture are full of references to containers as we go through. Jody spoke of covenants this morning, okay? So you have, in the scriptures, you have the garden. The garden itself was a container where Adam and Eve dwelt, right? You have Adam being the first Adam, as the scripture reveals in the New Testament, through whom sin came into the world. You have the ark that carried Noah and his family, right? As time goes on, you have the nation of Israel, the covenant with Abraham, you have the, the, the city of Jerusalem in, uh, whose gates are commanded to greet the king of glory in the psalm. The city itself containing the, the seat of the kingdom, 
right there. In the New Testament, you have the incarnate Christ who comes. You have in him as the second Adam, the containment of his people chosen and purchased. Then you have the reality as that's lived out in the world, and you have the containers of the church, small c, like Clearnote Church here in Bloomington, and the church, large c, which is the universal church, the church as exists in all time of God's uh, chosen and purchased and delivered people. What does God demand of us regarding all things contained? God demands our sincere, demonstrated confession that he be known and embraced as owning it all. And all includes us. All includes us. He needs to be known and embraced as owning it all, and all it also includes us. Now there's something that needs to be said here. And it's one of those things that we sometimes refer to as a thing that uh, goes without saying. Does he, do any of you use that term anymore? A couple of people in the first service raised their hand. That goes without saying. You've ever said that before? Okay, listen, today, in our time, in our, in our day, if you're, if you're tempted to say that goes without saying, trust me, that's the very thing you should say. Because that's the thing nobody's adhering to today. So it doesn't go without saying what's, what I'm about to say, right? And so I want you to prepare yourself for this, something that God would not allow to go without saying in his scriptures. And that is this, it's Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 8. But God indeed, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house which I have built. Solomon built a temple, and then he says, it won't contain you. Then Stephen in Acts 7, referring to Solomon and David, verse 46, David found favor in God's sight and asked that he might find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob, but it was Solomon who built a house for him. However, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands, as the prophet says, heaven is my throne and earth is the footstool of my feet. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what place is there for my repose? Was it not my hand which made all these things? God cannot be contained in a house. So here's a rule of thumb. Just a rule of thumb that doesn't go without saying. If you can contain it, it isn't God. If you can contain it, it isn't God. And that's something that you can start to think about as you have conversations in your house with your wife, with your husband, with your children, with your neighbors, with your family members, with your workers that you work with in the workplace. You can start to have conversations about the things they think are God by showing them that that's all containable. We're going to get to this more in just a minute. If you can contain it, it isn't God. We go for the lie that's the exact opposite. We exchange the God to whom all creation belongs for countless representations of his creation that are containable. 
Romans 1.25 says, For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. We'll worship anything that God has made. It's just easy for us to do. We'll worship the earth, we'll worship the sun, we'll worship the stars, we'll worship the trees, we'll worship the mountains, we'll worship one another. We're capable of worshiping just about any created thing you can imagine. We form representative images, and our artistry becomes our God. One of my favorite places to read is in the book of Isaiah, when Isaiah is, is uh, prophesying to the people, and he says, To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness will you compare to him? For an idol, for the idol, a craftsman casts it. So he, you know, he makes a mold and he pours the uh, liquid in and it hardens and, and then out comes the idol. A goldsmith plates it with gold. A silversmith fashions chains of silver. He, his, he who is too impoverished for such an offering selects a tree that does not rot. You all know in Indiana the tree you want is the locust, right? That's the tree. My father built a fence out of locust posts before he went away to Japan in World War II when my wife and I went to that farm earlier in our marriage, so this would be in the mid-80s, those, that fence was still standing. That's good wood. It takes a long time for that wood to rot. So this is the kind of wood you want to choose if you're going to fashion an idol. So it doesn't rot away real quick. Okay? So he chooses wood that won't rot, and then he seeks for himself a skillful craftsman to prepare an idol that will not totter. Well, you want somebody who has the ability to make the bottom nice and smooth so it'll sit stably on the ground so that your idol isn't like going like this every time you walk into the room. Because that's nerve-wracking. Because everyone knows that the God who provides you all things shouldn't be able to move or shouldn't be subject to movement. He goes on and he talks about fastening it with nails. I couldn't quite get the bottom smooth enough, so let's take God here and let's tap some nails in around him at the bottom just to make sure he doesn't fall over. And then he goes on in chapter 44 and he talks about all this again. He says, those who fashion a graven image are all of them futile and their precious things are of no profit. Even their own witnesses fail to see or know so that they will be put to shame. Who has fashioned a god or cast an idol to no profit? Behold, all his companions will be put to shame, for the craftsmen themselves are mere men. And then he talks about the men who cut the wood, who take the hammers and shape it, talks about taking a measuring line, just like our measuring lines today, and going around it and measuring it, right? A little red chalk. Talks about a compass. He draws on it with a compass so he can get the curves just right on the idol. And then he talks about how the guy goes out to find the wood, and he finds a good piece of wood, a nice piece of locust. He saws it in half, carries two, two halves home. With one half, he goes and he has the craftsman form him an idol that won't totter. They nail it down on the floor. He's got it standing in the corner. He lays down on the floor, and he worships it. Then he chops up the other half into little pieces, and he puts it over on the, in, the, in the wood wood pile, and slowly he feeds it into his fire, and he cooks his meal over it, and he gets warm by it. With one half, 
he eats his food and cooks his meal, and with the other half, he falls down and worships. And, and, and Isaiah, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, this man feeds on ashes. A deceived heart has turned him aside. He cannot deliver himself, nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? In other words, he's doing this, and he's saying, he can't even see the lie that it is, as he does it. But through it, they try to transcend. They try to find meaning. And it's the same thing that was happening with Paul, with the, the, the people in Athens. He says, I see that you have a, an idol to an unknown God. Well, I've come to tell you who this is. He's not far away from you, but he's fixed the day when he'll judge the world. And, and he says to, him, to them, look, he overlooked times of ignorance, but he's now declaring that men, that all people everywhere should repent. Everywhere, all people should repent. That's what God is now saying. What should they repent of? What is he saying that they should repent of? Well, they should repent of thinking that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man, thinking that God could be contained or manipulated by his creatures. Or that he was something that was containable. And they need to repent. Are we any different today than the Athenians? Well, yes. We have horse-drawn... No, no. We have... No, no. We have horseless carriages. Right? We have horseless chariots. We're different. All of our food has nutritional labels right on it. So we can see everything that's in there. We're different than the Athenians. Well, on the level of idolatry, we're absolutely no different than the Athenians, right? I did a little research into the now 12, I think, year old, uh, what do you call the American Idol? It's not a game show. It's a television thing. It's a contest. It's a spectacle. It's a contest, right? American Idol. So on any given uh, tryout, at the basic tryout, say you're having, they're having an American Idol tryout in any year, in any major city like Chicago, like, like Indianapolis, like Denver, okay? How many people do you think come for the first round? How many people do you think they have to listen to? 10,000. 10,000 people who aspire to be worshipped will come to those tryouts in any given city. Right? That's what, that's what American Idol does. And then what, what, what do we do with them? They, they're made into movie stars. They're made into singers. They're made into politicians. Right? All of our idols. And so then what do we need? What do they need to help them? Because, you know, when you have people who are, who are idolized, there are problems. What are the problems? Well, they're sitting there, the idols, like the idols always do, and a little movement, and they start to totter. Right? You can see this as we look at our idols. They start to, you know, lose their luster for their activity, and their, we say, well, that's kind of nasty that you're that way. We thought you were an idol. We thought you were a god. And so then what do we do? What do they do? <laughs> this is fascinating. You know how you're not supposed to worship any graven image? Right? That's what the Bible says. So what do they do? They hire 
an image consultant. And then they come in and they help them to, to tack the, the, the nails all around the base so that they can get back up into the, the shine. And this we do all the time. Our idols today are sometimes more complex than this because we process a good deal of our idolatry through science. It's one of our favorite paths to transcendence. So sometimes, instead of images of virile men and sensual women, which we have lots of today, instead of those things, we have giant brains on display like those recently viewable in downtown Bloomington. Up on pedestals, great big brains. We transcend through the brains. You look at them and you just, all is well, right? Or we wear t-shirts with Einstein on them, his, his uh, silhouette, or I don't know who you got on your t-shirt. I'm sorry if you have Einstein on there this morning. And so we, we, uh, we, we worship and we transcend through these things. You, have you heard of the, the Higgs boson particle? Everybody up on your particle physics? Okay. And so it's also been called the, gar, the God particle, right? And so most physicists don't like that it's called that. There's a guy who wrote a book saying, uh, uh, called The God Particle, if the universe is the answer, what is the question, right? And they took that name and applied it to the, to the Higgs boson uh, particle, and the guy, who, Higgs himself doesn't like that, and, you know, it's a controversy, but both of the men are atheists. Higgs is a British atheist. The guy who wrote the book is a Jewish atheist, interestingly. And, and Higgs is tolerant of Christians. The Jewish guy is anti-Christ, okay? Anti-theist, I'd say. And so today, as they've sought out this particle and they named it after this guy, then they hired the, the University of Edinburgh, commissioned a, an artist named Ken Curry to, to do a portrait of um, Peter Higgs. And so the portrait is fascinating because... It has Higgs, and, if, and if, if it's kind of like this. He's standing here like I am. He's looking toward you. Behind him is a mirror with his back, his face looking away, which you would expect, right? But his face is looking away into what you can't see, the center mass of, this, this uh, light with all these things twirling around it, these light paths and particles, right? And it's like Higgs is staring into the face of God. As you know, he's, he has this third sight. You know, this is the thing. And so the guy draws the, the picture, and it's a little disturbing. The picture's a little disturbing. And it's not surprising because this is what the artist says. He says, I'm very interested in Peter Higgs' work. I don't for one second claim to grasp the theory, but I do understand the sublime. And there is a sublime quality to it all, a beauty, an awesome quality. In some respects, the subject is quite terrifying. And so he's identifying, but he's without God. He's looking at science. He's looking through this man. And so it becomes his form of idolatry. Part of particle physics is not that complicated. All right? Pastor Carell teaches you particle physics. You ready? This is it. God made all the particles. God is not any of the particles. 
God owns all the particles. That's it. Particle physics for Christians. Okay? Now you can go anywhere and talk to anybody at the university you want about this. Hey, you want to talk particle physics? God made them all. God is not containable as one of them. He owns them all. That includes you and me. Peter Higgs is contained. He cannot deliver himself. He feeds on ashes, is what the scripture says. Ken Curry, the artist, is contained. He cannot deliver himself. He feeds on ashes. Leon Lederman, the Jewish guy who wrote the book, is contained. He cannot deliver himself. He feeds on ashes. And it's only the power of God's Holy Spirit and the work of Jesus Christ that can deliver any of them or any of us from our idolatry. The particle they seek is contained. The particles that they may find comprise that particle, compose that particle, are contained. The giant particle collider is contained. It is not God. Higgs' portrait in the math department at the University of Edinburgh is contained. It's hanging, I'm assuming, by a wire on a wall. If you bump it, it might go off kilter. And then what do they do? They bring somebody in to adjust it because it's tottering. It's an idol. It's nothing. It can't do anything for you. It can't cause you to transcend anything. It's not even a very good likeness. I've seen the picture. God is not contained. The earth is the Lord's and all that it contains. We can live comfortably, obediently confessing this truth in our lives by doing a few things. And I know I'm out of time, but I'm going to give you these four or five things for you to to consider as, as you demonstrate, confess this truth. First, that we live comfortably, obediently confessing this truth by our sincere demonstration, demonstrated confession that God is known and embraced as owning it all. He's known and embraced by us as owning it all. We have to say it, we have to believe it, we have to demonstrate it by the way things come and go out of our hands. Well, that's God's. It came, and that's God's. It left. It's still God's. I'm just not the steward of it anymore. Think about Job. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God has said that he overlooked such thinking in times past, but he's now declaring that all people everywhere should repent of thinking that it belongs to them. We can live comfortably, obediently confessing this truth by not seeking to contain our own lives. Jesus says, if, a, if anyone comes after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And this is a principle in our lives of how we live. I'll tell you a sin that I'm prone to. A sin that I'm prone to is trying to keep my own life. So I get done with a long, long day, and usually it's a Thursday of an elders meeting, and all the elders feel this way. We get done with a long day. We've had an elders meeting till 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, sometimes 1 o'clock. 
in a decade past 4 o'clock. I'm glad for orders of the day. But you get home at midnight, and I'm thinking to myself, I'd have a long day, and it's been consumed, and I have not had any life for myself. I don't think this consciously, but I do when I'm not in the moment. And so what I want is I want to sit down, I want to have my fizzy drink, my bowl of popcorn, and watch a movie so that I have some life. And Jesus says, that's stupid. Not only that, he says, you'll lose your life if that's how you understand having life. He says, essentially to me, he'd say, go to bed. Get some sleep so tomorrow you can get up and serve me. And be satisfied. You're my servant. You belong to me. Be glad that that's your life. Right? We don't seek to contain our own lives and hold them. To live comfortably and obediently confessing this truth We need to not worry about our existence and how it will be maintained, and we certainly may not worship what can be contained. And so you have the account in Luke 12 of the man who has big barns, and he has a bumper crop, and he tears them down, he builds bigger barns, and then he has a party, and he says, eat, drink, and be merry. And God says, guess what? All that stuff you think you've contained and that you have that's yours, I'm cashing in. Because I'm taking you out of the picture. You're coming to me today in judgment. And somebody else is going to have all your barns and all your stuff. And then he goes on and he says the things that, that we all usually remember, what follows we usually remember. Consider the birds. Consider the lilies. They don't struggle about what they're going to eat, how they're going to survive. Don't you know that God has much more concern for you than he has for them? Seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and he'll add all the things to you that you need to survive. Don't worry about how you'll exist or how you'll be maintained. And certainly don't worship what can be contained in your barns or in your closets or in your, uh, you know, storage units at the storage place, or whatever. If we're going to demonstrate this in obedience, we need to live in Christ, in the vessel that God has provided. So take your Bibles later on, sometime this week, do on your online a Bible search, and search all the places where it says in Christ. About, depending on your, your, your translation, probably 80 to 90 uh, places will come up that will use the words in conjunction, in Christ, and then read what it has to say. And you'll realize that Christ is a container for his people. And it's, it's a crass way to look at it on the surface, but it's not. Because what that means is everything. We are in Christ. We exist in his righteousness, safe in Christ. And if you want to even go further, search where it says, in him, referring to in Christ, and you'll find even more. We live our lives, as John 15 says, abiding in Christ. And this is how we demonstrate our faith and how we live opposing idolatry. And lastly, Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Be the container of the Holy Spirit. 
Ask God to give you the Holy Spirit. He says if we ask for His Holy Spirit, He'll give, him the, give us the Holy Spirit. He wants to give His Holy Spirit to us. He wants to pour out His Holy Spirit on us. When we pray and lead in prayers in these services, we often ask for the Holy Spirit to be given to us. Poured out on us. Because the Holy Spirit of God is the one who works inside of us. Changing us. Directing us to will and to do God's good pleasure. And so, oppose, oppose, oppose the idolatry of this world by looking to Psalm 24, looking to what God says, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. And just start from that point, rejecting all idolatry and serving God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we look to you today in faith because you've made that possible. And we ask, Lord, that you will forgive us of our sins of idolatry as they have, manifests, they have manifested in this room in thousands and thousands of ways. Lord, forgive us. Turn us away from our sins. Cause us to live by faith in your Son. Cause us to confess with our bodies that we belong to you, as does all of your creation. And Lord, give us deliverance from the evil of this world and even the evil that exists in our own hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.